You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program. We feel, we hope, that we are an expression of the culture of Maine and that spirit that brings Mainers together and that by dint of geography and culture forges them into a certain unified purposefulness. I think we hold out this promise and and people take it for granted that you call 911 and someone will show up. And really, if you think about this, this is the greatest social promise in the history of humankind. And it's really a simple but profound. If you call us, we will come. We've come so far in our journey in this medical field, in this profession, that we make sure we add this human element, that it's okay to be human, and it's okay to be involved with family and treat them like as if we would want our family treated. You're with somebody at their most vulnerable time in their life. And if it means holding of their hand or a smile or taking a family member aside and telling them, you know, this is what we're doing to your loved one and this is what's going to happen, then that's what that means. If that means taking two minutes out of your time and talking to a family member, then that's what that means. Well, this experience has stayed with me. It's with me every day. It's a gift to have this experience, to realize all of the great gifts there are just in an ordinary day. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 142, Life Flight, airing for the first time on Sunday, June 1st, 2014. As the wellness editor for Maine Magazine, it is my great pleasure to interact with many talented, committed individuals who are impacting the lives of people in our state. Today we speak with people who deal with life and death on a daily basis. The subject of our June wellness column, our guests include Life Flight Medical Director, Dr. Norm Dinerman, Executive Director, Tom Judge, Nurse Missy McCann, and Paramedic Frank McClellan. They are joined by Casey Ford, whose life was saved after her plane crashed off of Matinicus. We know you'll be inspired by this story. Thank you for joining us. I was fortunate recently to spend time with the um, men and women of Life Flight out of their Lewiston um, Life Flight office and base. And today I'm extremely fortunate to have Tom Judge and Dr. Norm Dinerman joining me. Um, Tom Judge is the executive director of Life Flight, and Dr. Norm Dinerman is the medical director of Life Flight. Life Flight is um, known as Maine's Flying Hospital and has um, made itself available for more than 16,000 patients since 1998. Um, we're going to talk more about this, but I just, I'm, it's with great gratitude that I have you in here today because I know that what you do is important and I know that your time is valuable. So thank you for being here. Thank well, you thank for having you. us. Yeah. yeah. I think that I might have told each of you that I spent a short period of time on a volunteer ambulance service uh, in, in Yarmouth before I went to medical school. And I was very, and I was, I was always, uh, it was amazing to me how dedicated people were, how many years, decades people would spend um, in the volunteer realm. And one of the things that I was struck by in talking with each of you is how much respect you have for really everybody within the emergency medical field and the transport field and the critical care field. There was, you were never in any conversation I had with either one of you in writing the article trying to make life flight any better than anybody else. You just said we're all part of the picture. It is. I think we hold out this promise, and, and people take it for granted that you call 911 and someone will show up. 
And really, if you think about this, this is the greatest social promise in the history of humankind. And it's really a simple but profound. If you call us, we will come. Well, then think about that. You know, 260,000 times a year, so once every 90 seconds or so, some 911 dispatcher is picking up a call for a medical emergency somewhere in Maine. And so it's the front end, and we have, we have these great tertiary hospitals, um, Portland, Lewiston, and Bangor. We have community hospitals spread out through across the state. But in the uncertain moment when something bad happens at home, if you're in St. Agat, if you're in Jackman, you know, we should be trying to do everything we can, and through the EMS system we do, to make sure that Main Street in Jackman is Main Street in Lewiston, is State Street in Bangor, is Congress Street in Portland. And so trying to bridge that, and that's the, the EMS system, and there's just literally 5,000 people that drop what they're doing to take care of Maine. And, and I mean, I've been a volunteer in rescue for 35 years, and a little quiet now, but it's, uh, it's an important, it's, it, it's part of the glue of our community. We, we consider LifeLight uh, part of the one thread in the tapestry of healthcare in the state of Maine. Um, one of our mottos, one of our perspectives is simply that everybody needs to be sophisticated. Um, and we are really uh, imbued with this issue of layering our skills on those of those before us and those that come behind us. And it's, very, it's imperative that we're one component of the tapestry. Uh, we're really um, into continuity of care and linkage of providers, integration of assets, alignment of management plans. And we are, if, if, if those before us don't do what they're supposed to do, we're not going to have much of a chance. And by extrapolation, the patient won't either. Both of you are very dedicated to the state of Maine, but you're not, but you're Mainers by choice, let's just say. In fact, you, Dr. Dinerman, you're a New Yorker. I am. Uh, I'm a recovering uh, Manhattanite, actually. Um, and uh, Maine has a, uh, I guess, uh, it's a platform for creativity here. There's a venue here, uh, an acceptance here for new ideas, and there's a cultural imperative here. It's pragmatic, it's passionate, it's purposeful, it's principled, it's productive, and those are themes that are part of the cultural fabric of Maine, and so it's a wonderful place in which to try and be creative and to bring whatever creativity I have and we all have to this venue and make it work. And before you, after you left New York, but before you came to Maine, you were actually part of what has been termed the Knife and Gun Club. So you've been to a very exciting place doing very exciting medicine. Well, it was, uh, yes, I uh, was privileged to work uh, with Dr. Peter Rosen. Um, uh, at uh, Denver, what was then Denver General Hospital, now called Denver Health, and uh, was able to run the 911 system for Denver and do their disaster preparedness, and was uh, the associate director in the emergency department in Denver, uh, at Denver General. So it was really a very interesting venue, um, certainly um, uh, extremely intense. Um, and captured, if you will, the intimacy of the urban milieu. Um, that's one thing that emergency departments do. It's really a social biopsy of the community, if you will. And uh, so Denver was very exciting. And you came by uh, your interest in life flight and public health and emergency medicine and transport, Tom, through a very interesting and circuitous route. You've been a musician, you've been a Montessori school teacher, you've been a, a fellow in, I believe, public policy across the ocean. Um, you've owned your own company. I mean, you've, you've been everywhere, and this has brought you here doing this. Well, it's funny how so roads. So I, I, I came to Maine with what I owned on my back, you know, hitchhiked into the state for a summer job and, you know, was going to be here for summer and, 
and actually was here for the summer and then went back to school and you know then was somewhere else and you know got a thing saying well will you come back and work this next summer and it uh sort of you know the people brought me back um I, you know i it, it's not something that i sort of ever planned on i got involved in the local volunteer rescue in st george been there this is our 65th year um uh, 60th year of uh, service to the community of St. George, some remarkable people, and sort of one thing led to the other because it's like, well, why doesn't this work right? And you know, I owned a construction company, and we're trying to get insurance for our employees, and we're having a really hard time. We like, we want to buy insurance for our employees, and we can't buy the insurance. So what? What's wrong? And so I got on the hospital board at Penn Bay, and you know, it's like I just needed to understand more about trying to how do we get a better system because. Um, I think that, you know, as Norma said, that, that the individuals, you know, make a difference and, and, and individuals must make a difference every day. We have to go and do our jobs to make a difference. But ultimately, it's the individuals working together and, and you know, in the big picture, that's the healthcare system. And there's little bits of this. So I had, you know, gone off to, to Ireland and, and uh, spent a year in Ireland. Um, and was teaching for the National Ambulance Training School and then was back here and literally over dinner one night with one of a close mentor and, and one of our customers of the building company. And he just said, that you know, we love you as a builder, but the world can't afford for you to build any more houses. And I want you to do this and ended up in the UK. By that time, I was already, you know, kind of leading the ambulance system in Bangor and had started working with Norm and, and Eric Steele. And, you know, went across and spent a year in the design of the system in the UK for emergency services and had come back and then they were like, well, we need LifeLight built, so build it. And it was like, okay, this will be another adventure. So it's been, luckily, just with an extraordinary group of people, it's been a great adventure. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. I remember my first payroll job as a dishwasher. Punch the clock, scrape and wash the dishes. It was mindless work. By doing the work, I realized that this was not what I wanted to do with my life. I remember the most physically taxing job I had as an operator of a jackhammer on a bridge construction crew one summer between my first and second senior years of college. I loved the tan, the money, and the muscles I got that summer, but by doing the work, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. I remember the effort required to teach kids about the real applications of math and money at an academy in the mountains of western Maine. But even the kids knew that there was more I wanted to do with my life. I know that I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for all of my experiences in life. They are not highs and lows, they are the foundation on which we continue to build. Today I do the dishes, cut the grass, paint the house, make the popcorn, shop at the deli, drink the beer, and invest the money. These things I do because I accept that hard work is part of life, and knowing that to be the case, we just get on with it, so that we can come back and enjoy our free time with family and friends. Money makes a lot of this possible. To learn more, like us on Facebook or go to www.shepherdfinancialmain.com. We want to help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design 
is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. If you are a healthcare provider and listener of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we invite you to the second lecture in our Apothecary by Design lecture series to be held at 75 Market Street here in Portland. Our second lecture is with Dr. Kristen McKelvin, a Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast guest and expert in the field of Lyme disease. She will be holding a discussion of Lyme disease and her naturopathic medical view on the disease on May 28th at 5 p.m. At her talk, Dr. McKelvin will review general tick-borne illness information, including diagnosis and testing and treatment options using both conventional and complementary therapies. This is a great opportunity for practitioners to gather reputable resources for use in their clinical practice. Visit apothecarybydesign.com for more information. I hope to see you there. In conversations that I had with patients who had been helped by LifeLight, one of the things that came up was the way that uh, the members of LifeLight, the the paramedics, the pilots, the the nurses, um, dealt with family members. So it wasn't just about the patient. It was about the patient as a member of their family, as a member of you know, the greater fabric. And this was very impressive and very important. And I think as healthcare providers that, and with the pressure, the economic pressures on healthcare and throughput, and we boom, 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 that, you know, and, and you know, I <clears throat> was just, you know, at, a, at a, a meeting and it's all about Toyota production strategies. And yes, we have to be incredibly economically efficient. But at the end of the day, this is always about people. And, and you know, we try to, have this be, you know, kind of, you know, and, and we have all these policies, and we, if I stretched it out, I just get them, narrow them down to three. Right stolen from the U.S. Army, every day when you come to work, be all you can be. Second, treat every patient as if they were your mother. The most person in your life, and if that's not good enough, is if they were my mother, because that makes a big, a big deal to me. And third, you know, when all fails, feel free, feel free to think, always an option. And it won't always be graceful, but you'll get to the right right place. And I, I think it's incredibly important for our people that this isn't, that, that when disease strikes somebody, it strikes an individual, but the family lives through it. And, and I think over the years to go back and, and, and get, you know, letters from, from patients with a picture of, you know, here are these two kids. These kids wouldn't be here. You know, if I hadn't been treated by LifeLight, you know, here's a picture, you know, and it's all of these. So it always is about the entire, you know, if we're going to have the threads of a community. And, you know, I was in, there's certainly in all the news, there was a horrible car accident in Port Clyde last summer. And, you know, I was kind of the second arriving paramedic on the volunteer rescue. And that, that accident just totally disrupted our entire community. And you had tragedy, you have a little boy dead, you have people critically injured. Um, and it, it just ripped at our community. And so our job is to, it isn't that we're just taking care of, you know, this patient, we're taking care of this family, we're taking care of this community. Norm, you've been a doctor for a little while now. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to say how many years in case you're sensitive to your age. Not at all. I, uh, I'm actually uh, 67 and uh, graduated uh, from medical school in 1972. All right. So you and my dad are roughly the same age. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes. How have you been able to um, maintain a positive perspective about medicine and also really understand and practice on a daily basis um, the types of medicine that enables you to have ongoing good quality relationships with patients and other members of the medical and healthcare team? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I, uh, uh, you know, I think that the, the goal for any individual, uh, yourself as a physician, is to maintain a certain equipoise 
um, and to have and develop uh, an emotional, intellectual, behavioral, ethical gyroscope so that despite the buffeting and the vicissitudes of life that you can kind of chart a course forward that is meaningful. Um, I think um, uh, one of the ways uh, I think to uh, maintain that professional viability, if you will, is to uh, maintain allegiance to those core principles in terms of intimacy and respect and dignity. I think um, on a, uh, another basis, you know, if you can do meaningful work, keep things eclectic, place yourself in proximity to role models to emulate and capture an element of a childhood fantasy on a daily basis, you tap into this geothermal wellspring of emotional energy um, that we all have within us and that springs from the child and basically reflects curiosity about the human condition and a desire to, uh, if you will, um, make things better and have affection for your fellow human beings. And I think that's what keeps us going and propels us forward. I think if that curiosity uh, goes away or the affection, the gift of affection uh, that uh, has been written about previously as a, one of the distinguishing features of uh, physicians but not uh, solo uh, for them or not alone with them. Uh, if that gift of affection goes away and the curiosity goes away, um, then I won't be able to practice anymore. I think that's intrinsic um, to giving me the energy uh, to, to move forward. The reason I brought up my father is because he graduated from medical school a year before you did, so he's been in family medicine for the same number of years that you've been practicing. And I see I see the same thing from him, you know, his ongoing dedication and the same thing that you've described, this sort of um, understanding the importance of the relationship. But what struck me most about what you just said was um, the, the thing about finding this childhood passion. And you used to go out and you used to watch the ambulances go by when you were in New York and you used to go out and watch the helicopters and the airplanes overhead. I'm afraid much to the chagrin of my parents. Uh, I wound up going out to uh, LaGuardia uh, with a little bag of lunch probably when I was nine or ten years of age and just watching airplanes. And uh, I think um, for myself, um, not uniquely, but I, I think for myself the kinetics uh, of movement, of motion, um, both um, yeah, physically and intellectually have always been very captivating uh, to me. And I think that uh, what we found in Maine is, again, a uh, crucible for this creativity, a bouillabaisse of resources that we can draw upon to enable creativity to thrive and to uh, create something that is meaningful. And that sustains us, professionally speaking. And then when my wife needs to buy a new car, I just send her to Norm, you know, who's an ultimate gearhead and can give her the last 14 years of consumer reports and the quality of, of cars, you know, to, to do things. So it's like, you know, these other little pieces of this. And he was a musician as well. He was a drummer in a rock band. You know, so. some, somehow I'm not surprised by that. I could totally see the two of you as, you know, musicians and doing your thing. So I appreciate your coming in and talking to us today, to talking to um, me for the Life Flight piece, which will be in the June Main Magazine. Um, people can look up Life Flight on the web. Tom, the website for Life Flight www.lifeflightmain.org. One word, lifeflightmain.org. And, um, and really think about, as, as listeners who are... Um, kind of contemplating our conversation, it may not be that you may not think that you are ever going to need life flight, but who really knows? So it's kind of good to look into what you don't need right now. Well, because and the entire 911 system. You know, whoever, you know, no one gets up in the morning planning to have a heart attack. Um, and, and this is, and we really need to remember, this is an incredible promise um, that is carried on the shoulders of of many people that people don't know. I mean, we did it back when we were in the regulatory board together in Maine EMS many years ago. We did a we did a Chris Potholm did a study for the for the state, you know, about the what people knew of the EMS system. And I think it's still the same today. They basically have no idea who the people are. They have no idea who they where they come from. They have no idea how they get paid, but they do know that they can trust them, and they do know that they can let them into their lives. And that's that's. Uh, so yes, it's um, every day, it's, it's, uh, we have to remember that promise. 
Well, and I think it's a promise that we could back up financially. As you've said, there's only so many dollars that are out there. What you do is very important work. I know it's hard to say to people, look, we're worthy of your donation. But if there ever was an organization in the state of Maine that has touched so many people in so many different ways, it's so worthy of that type of support. I think it's probably lifelike. And and Maine was the last state in the country to get an air medical system. We were, in 1998, we were the only state in the country without an air medical system. In 2008, we were named the top program in all of North America. So a lot of hard work by lots of people to get that. But it is a charity. And the reason that it was that we didn't have a system was really because the, the, the economics of Maine, um, how, do you, how do you do this? And it was an incredible puzzle that a bunch of healthcare leaders and physicians figured out how to start the puzzle. But, but absolutely, there's, there's all kinds of things that we do that when we put an isolate, a specialized isolate on the aircraft, that uh, we could never make a cost case for that. So, but when you need it, you actually need that piece of medical equipment, and similar to the aircraft. So, at the end of the day, yes, we're we're a charitable foundation, um, supports making sure that this is here today and tomorrow. Well, I appreciate you both coming in um, today, and also appreciate the work that you do. Keep up, keep it up, keep up what you're doing, keep up whatever it is that keeps you so passionate about LifeLight. We've been speaking with Tom Judge, the executive director, and Dr. Norm Dinerman, the medical director of LifeLight. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for the honor. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When asked, most of my clients say the same thing about what keeps them up at night. Money. Making certain cash flow is there to meet day-to-day operational needs. Oh my gosh, is payroll going to be able to make it? When we dig deeper, we understand that those sleepless nights are symptoms of poor planning and forecasting. And more often than not, the reasons for not doing it are a lack of time and a lack of resources. So here's a suggestion. Instead of living in fear of the numbers and losing sleep over them, make peace with them by paying closer attention to the financials and creating positive cash flow. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. It's rare that a group of guests at our main magazine studio uh, creates quite the buzz that this group of guests has created here today. We have the Life Flight crew um, based out of Bangor, or at least a few members of the Life Flight crew based out of Bangor with us, in addition to a patient who actually was basically taken from the jaws of death um, by this Life Flight crew. And of course, they're all dressed up and very embarrassed that I'm talking about them this way. We have a, with us Missy McCann, a nurse for Life Flight, Frank McClellan, paramedic for Life Flight, and Casey Ford who is a patient who survived plane crash in- injuries because of life flight. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you for having us. You're Thank welcome. you, indeed. You are an impressive group of individuals. I mean, I can't say it enough. I've spent time, um, I've talked with a lot of people um, around the state of Maine who are doing great things in the healthcare field. I, I, I can't, um, I can't even describe 
how strongly I feel about the work that you're doing because mm-hmm. it's hard work. It's uh, scary at times. It's um, it goes above and beyond what we ask of many nurses and paramedics, doctors even. Um, it requires some guts and it requires a lot of compassion. And I think that that was what uh, I heard when I was talking to Casey about her plane crash off of Matinicus. Mm-hmm. So let me start with you, Casey. Tell us about your story. Mm-hmm. Well, I had been visiting some friends on Matinicus in the s- July of 2011, and we took the ferry out and took the plane back. And shortly after takeoff, the plane lost power and crashed into the ocean. And I think what makes my story incredible is that all four people survived, which makes it a very good story. And we were in the water about an hour before the amazing people of Matinicus came to our rescue with lobster boats. And then they took us back to the island where we were then flown back to the mainland and we were then taken by ambulance to hospital in Rockport and then from there the decision was made that I needed to be life flighted and life flight came and they were there and they made very important decisions regarding my care and yeah I have I don't have a lot of memories after being plucked out of the water but I do remember I do remember life flight and I remember feeling okay I'm gonna be okay and then coincidentally at the same time uh, flight paramedic Frank was taking care of my daughter Molly who had come to the hospital so Frank is legendary at my house for the kindness and just concern he showed my daughter Molly. And so they took me. They took me to Lewiston where they found some life-threatening injuries that if I had not been life-flighted, I would have died. So it's, it's emotional being here. It's, I'm looking at my two superheroes right now and it's incredible. I cannot say enough about life flight. Amazing, amazing, amazing people, and the care is, I, it's, it's hard to describe. What you're giving is kind of the Reader's Digest version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matinicus is, for people who are listening who don't know, it's an island off the coast of Maine that you can't get to easily, and the plane that you got on, into was a single-engine Cessna, which really only had room for how many? Uh, uh, five, and there were four of us on the plane. So the plane takes off, and then it drops out of the sky. Right. And when it drops out of the sky, the way that you survived for, it sounds like an hour from what you told me, mm-hmm. is by hanging on to essentially wreckage. Right, we did. We were fortunate that, well, the plane did sink, but there was a, a piece of the plane that did not sink, which was, which without it, I don't think we would have been able to stay in the water that long. So we were able to all cling to it and and then the lobster boats came and plucked us out of the water. On a Sunday, mind you. I was on a Sunday, so they weren't fishing. So The yeah. fact that they were even there is nothing short of a miracle. Oh, absolutely. Itself. Absolutely. Yes, I think once they got word that the plane went down, they came. I think everyone on the island came. So they're amazing, too. Yeah, there's so many people that day that came to our rescue. It's pretty incredible. And it's even more of a horror story because the injuries that you had were truly Mm life-threatening. I mean, you actually had a torn aorta, which is the body's largest artery and responsible for bringing blood to most places in the body. Right. And when that gives way... Really bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why I'm not trying to, I mean, and I say Reader's Digest version, I think because I just want people to understand just exactly how horrifying this whole experience was mm-hmm. to be in the middle of it and how very close to dying you actually were. Absolutely. Right. Yes. 
Yes, and I also had uh, fractured my back as well. Um, but it's amazing what the body can do in the in the face of yeah and soul exactly yeah. Well, I can tell that Missy wants to jump in, <laughs> which is great. I I think um, it's this is the kind of thing, Missy, that you and Frank see all the time. And that's the amazing thing to me, that this is a story, and it's a really big story, and it's a really big story that you encounter day after day after day. I think what we don't encounter is the patients coming back after and hearing their story from their perspective. We always like to update, you know, get updates on our patients and see how they're doing after that most vulnerable time in their life, most traumatic time in their life, the sickest time in their life. But we don't always get that. And I think that for us working in the healthcare profession, you have to kind of put up that wall to be able to do what we do and to be able to put enough compassion to know that you're there to care for that patient, but yet not put your too much emotion involved in it because it can be very on it can be very tiring when you're doing it day in day out but i think to be able to hear from the patient from their perspective after and to just that raw emotion and i get emotional myself about it but <laughs> it's just really good to hear that perspective on things and we don't get to do that we don't get that a lot so and i think that it's really important in this story too is everybody that came together it wasn't just life flight i mean i know this is a story about life flight but it was everybody that came mm -hmm. together everybody yeah. that was on casey's yeah. from the lobster boats to the ambulance service to life flight to the surgeons at center i mean it was everybody absolutely. we're just a piece of the story absolutely yes there were and i think that that's important to recognize as well mm -hmm. and that's everything that i have uh, in every encounter i've had with life flight and um and speaking with Dr. Norm Dinerman and talking with Tom Judge, um, it's always very clear that it's 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 a one big puzzle, and everybody is just a piece in the puzzle, Correct. and mm -hmm. nobody's any better than anybody else. You're all just trying to do very high quality work in a very compassionate way and work with everybody else. So whether you're working mm -hmm. with the people at Penn Bay or whether you're working mm -hmm. with the people the surgeons at CMMC or um, you're all working together, yeah. and that's how people survive for the same common goal for the patient yes to save this person's life so that they can have their own life to go back to the goal of the dr lisa radio hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community the goal of ted carter inspired landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world here to speak with us today is ted carter i was in Quasic this past weekend, uh, it's up by the Canadian border, and looking up at the vast sky, it's so dark up there, and you can actually see the Milky Way from spanning the entire night sky, which is quite incredible. One of the things I do in the landscape is put in large, flat stones, seating height, roughly 18, 20 inches above grade, and they're perfect for uh, gazing up at the night sky. You lie on your back, maybe there's a fire pit next to you, and you're looking up and gazing at the night sky, the vastness, the incredible amount of space and stars. The night landscaping is particularly mysterious, and I think that that's one of the things that I love about a night landscape is the fact that it's, it's obscure in ways, and it becomes visible and then obscure. And it plays with shadows and, and light, and there's a whole art to putting that together, and I love working with it. The clients love it as well. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Travis Bullier of Premier Sports, a division of Black Bear Medical. The Book of Life has so many chapters. While we can't guarantee how many or how long each will be, we can control some of its content. Black Bear Medical knows we are all plagued with challenges, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Our goal is to help you and your entire family be literate in the ways of your wellness to minimize those challenges. Information leads to knowledge, and knowledge leads to power. Empower yourself to be a better you. 
Visit our locations in Portland and Bangor to see how our approach to you and your family's wellness goes beyond medical equipment, medical supplies, and sports health products. It's not just products. It's a plan and a promise to help you rewrite the chapters of your life. Visit blackbearmedical.com or like us on Facebook for continual information on you and your family's wellness. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. It takes quite a lot to become a member of the Life Flight team. Um, I know that in order to even apply, you have to have uh, a certain number of experience in a very high-level critical care or emergency environment, in addition to having qualifications um, as a nurse or a paramedic. Um, and then you go through rigorous training. Then you go through training specific to um, working uh, on the helicopter. And it's broad-based because you do many things. You know, you work with infants and you work with stroke patients and you do intubations. You know, you help patients to breathe and keep mm -hmm. their hearts going. That's a lot. And to also be compassionate. How are you able to keep that balance? Well, you have to. It's... You have to keep that balance. You don't. You can't lose that human element. You can't. You just. You're with somebody at their most vulnerable time in their life, and if it means holding of their hand or a smile, or taking a family member aside and telling them, you know, this is what we're doing to your loved one, and this is what's going to happen, then that's what that means. If that means taking two minutes out of your time and talking to a family member, then that's what that means. And I don't think that there's one of us that work at LifeLight that don't carry that within. And that's not, I don't know that that's really a, a learned thing. I just think everybody just carries that based on what we do, on the, the patients that we fly are the sickest. And I think that that's really something that's very important for us to be able to never forget. And sometimes you can do that in the health profession. And I think that that's a safety mechanism. I personally, I think in the health field, some people just do that as a safety mechanism so they kind of lose that human capacity. Um, and that's fair enough, but I don't really see anybody in, that I work with as my fellow coworkers in LifeLight that, that have ever lost that human capacity myself. I think that's very important, don't you, Frank? Yeah, I, I think across the board, it's, it's like a calling. Hmm. Uh, there's there's people down the street sitting at a station ready to walk out the door if you have an emergency or if no matter what it may be it could be anything and uh, a, a lot of those people it's you know that's it's ingrained in them and that's what they do and and they're good at it and uh, as as far as uh, you know qualifications at LifeLight yes there's lots of stuff on paper that we need before we can even mm -hmm. think about applying. If Missy and I walk into the door to go to a patient, whether it's on a scene call or in a facility, you know, we, we have this shared well of experience that we bring in the door. And that's, I think, also something that LifeLight looks at that's important besides the certifications, which, the, which there is a lot. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of uh, upkeep, too, that, you know, certifications expire and you have to constantly keep them up. Um, but you know, each each of us, everybody has their own different journey that led them to mm -hmm. where they're at now, as as far as working on the helicopter, and and it's all pretty interesting uh, as far as where the experience is from, and and what they can pull from. You know, some in, in some areas, it's it's critical care. It's how many situations has has this crew walked into, and in, in they're past 15 to 20 years of, of being a medical provider that have had multiple patients or crashes or, uh, you know, how many patients with that, with sepsis or mm -hmm. having a stroke or that, that they've or walked into or babies mm -hmm. or, or, you know, 
okay, you know, your three-year-old's hit by a car, you know, okay, here comes these two people, you know, what, what are they going to, what, what's the next step? Are they going to, they're, they're going to come in, they're going to draw from their experience, they're going to look at things objectively as far as what's the next step, they're going to keep the family involved, and they're going to guide and direct what the next best step is for that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Missy's absolutely right when, if you, you know, what a gift to be there for someone when they're helpless. You know, I, the ability to do that is, is, uh, is amazing. You have two different sites that you work out of, Bangor and um, Lewiston, but you fly to sites, you fly to hospitals all over the state. How has that changed your view of living in Maine yourselves, the ability to see Maine from so many different vantage points? You know, they say Maine's a small state, but when it takes an aircraft an hour and 15 minutes to get from Bangor to Jackman or Bay, I don't think that that's very small. <laughs> you know, I mean, we cover from one end of the state of Maine to the other end of the state of Maine. I think Maine is much bigger than people. Yes, it is a small state, given all these other big states, you know, in the United States. But Maine is a big state, but I think that where we're a small state is is the people. It's the people that live in the state of Maine. You know, it's the it's the friendliness of people in the state of Maine. I've I've heard people that come here in the state of Maine. They talk about how people in Maine are so friendly and willing to help. And mm -hmm. and I think that that's just been ingrained in people that live in Maine. I love what I do. I love the Life Light family. I love the patients that come back mm -hmm. and thank us for what we can give them during one of the most trying vulnerable times in their life that I, I kind of hang on to that sometimes mm -hmm. during really stressful days when I say oh my goodness this is my fourth flight I'm tired I'm exhausted I'm hot uh, you know I just want to go home and then I, I grasp onto those things that say you know what this is this is worth it mm -hmm. this is worth it because of what we can give back to families this is healing for us too it is it is mm -hmm. It is, because it's, it's not always easy. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I'm thinking about as you've been talking is that in Casey's other life, mm -hmm. uh, she works as an, ad you work as an admissions officer. Yes, I do. For Colby College. Right. And so you're responsible for essentially assessing whether every successive year of um, applicants is really going to be the right kind of caliber of individual for your school. Right. So you have a chance to, um, I guess, even direct what types of people these kids become. In a sense, yes. And you're looking at two people who have become pretty, arguably, pretty high caliber individuals. Mm-hmm. Are you able to use your skills in the admissions office and look at sort of the the vast group of applicants and say, you know what, that person has something special, that person has something special? Mm -hmm. And would you be able to say that person has something special enough to do what these guys are doing? Mm -hmm. uh, I I think it's it's a little bit tricky to make that leap from a high school a senior in high school, their college application. But we do, we are fortunate at Colby to receive applications from some pretty incredible students who I think ultimately do have the the ability, the skills to do what Missy and Frank do. But I think as, you know, I think about what Missy and Frank and their colleagues do at LifeLight, they're pretty special people. They're, uh, and it's hard to tell from a senior in high school, but as I think about Missy and Frank and not only their abilities in healthcare, they're, they're very kind people. And that's a, a combination that, for me, in my, in my experience with them, is, is extremely important. So it would be great if I could look into my crystal admissions ball and say, <laughs> yeah, this one's going to, you know, graduate and be, you know, Frank McClellan or Missy McCann. But I think we do, as I said, at Colby, we do get 
really talented students applying. I, I think that in this capacity, in this role, life experiences plays a huge role in this. I mean, would I say that I think I could do this out of high school? No, I didn't go to I went to I went to college as a non-traditional student with a seven and an eight year old and worked weekends and went to school during the week. I wasn't ready then. I didn't have the maturity at 18 years of age to go to college. And I think that the life experiences kind of help bringing that along with you in this, I, I think is important in the, in the role of life light. I just, I think that experiences in your own life, experiences in, in your profession, you have to have that base to start with. Mm-hmm. I just feel that it's, a, it's very strong. You have to have that base, and that's why they require you to have you know, the critical care experience before you even start working in the aircraft. And then it's six months of additional training on top of already being an RN or a paramedic. Which, yeah, which is tough and not fun. No, sometimes. it's not fun. There's <laughs> no punches pulled. You no. Know, you're, it's, it's very critical. and, and uh, they... it's, it's molding you to be mm-hmm. a team member on that aircraft. Mm-hmm. But we get asked, I mean, well, I get asked a lot, EMT students say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in eventually someday going to Life Flight. And it's, it's, it's tough to answer them, but never, ever would I discourage them mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I, I was an auto mechanic who started volunteering at a place and thought, well, I can kind of interact with people pretty well at a crisis center. Mm-hmm. And I still don't, to this day, don't know what made me start volunteering at this crisis center. But then it was, well, I'm going to take an EMT basic course at a local community college. And that was in 95. And so much has happened since then. But here I am. So I, I would never, I, I would never discourage a student from from having that goal and that vision. Uh, I, I think I started wanting to fly maybe about uh, eight or nine years ago uh, and started flying, uh, you know, about six years ago. And it's 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 an achievable goal mm-hmm. if it's worked for and, mm-hmm. and the experience is there. A lot of work, but worth it. And, uh, mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm picturing my coworkers listening to this, uh, hearing Casey going, "Oh yeah, Frank special." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, everybody, listen up. <laughs> That's right. There's, there's, you know, there's that level of humor around work. It's, it's, it's always good. You spent ten days in the intensive care unit once you got to Central Maine Medical Center, and after you had been stabilized, mm-hmm. um, you had complications with your broken back. It took you four months before you returned to work mm-hmm. at Colby yep. uh, and more than a year before you actually got better. Mm-hmm. So this just, so this whole life flight experience was the beginning of what has been a really significant um, life journey for you. Absolutely. What are the lessons for you? Mm. <sighs> there are many and, and it's interesting that when well, this experience has stayed with me. It's with me every day. Uh, that being said, my life is normal. I, I work full time. I, I do many things that I did before. So life is normal, but it truly is with me pretty much every minute. And in a sense, I feel, I feel almost lucky to have had this experience, obviously because I I have healed and I'm doing well, but it's a gift to have this experience to to realize all of the great gifts there are just in an ordinary day. And to be able to get up and put your feet on the floor and walk out your bedroom door and down the stairs is a gift. And to look up at the sky and and to walk my dogs and to look out over the ocean and just remember that I am truly one of the luckiest people there there are and and it happened because of other people that so many people came together that day to help me strangers that just came to me 
and it's exceptionally humbling and I keep that with me all the time the kindness of people is is a, is a is a huge takeaway for me and not only life flight but the care I received at CMMC was extraordinary and the kindness of people to my family which in a, in a, in a in a situation like this the patient obviously has their own journey but the family has their amazing journey as well and that's where life flight we've been talking about that really stepped up the people at CMMC did as well and so it's just it, when i think about this whole experience and lessons learned it's the kindness of people that is just exceptionally humbling that uh, and to, to appreciate just the small things which are so important your relationships with your friends and family ultimately i think are really the most important thing that you can you can nurture and cherish those so that's that's what i try hard to appreciate my people i encourage um our listeners to read the article about life flight in the june issue of maine magazine also to spend time learning more about life flight on the life flight website and um I really appreciate the time that each of you has taken out of your day to come and and tell your story uh, here on our show. I think it's important and it really reminds me that um, life, of course, can change in an instant and that others around you can have an impact on how that life changes. Mm -hmm. So um, I appreciate what you're doing for people in Maine and I appreciate your willingness to be with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The pleasure is ours. And we've been speaking with Missy McCann, uh, nurse for Life Flight, Frank McClellan, paramedic for Life Flight, and Casey Ford, a former patient of Life Flight mm -hmm. and um, admissions officer at Colby College. Enjoy your, enjoy your lives, guys. <laughs> we do. We will. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 142, Life Flight. Our guests have included Dr. Norm Dinerman, Tom Judge, Missy McCann, Frank McClellan, and Casey Ford. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram as Bountiful One. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and also of our wellness column in Maine Magazine. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope you have enjoyed our Life Flight show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine, at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Thank you.